All right, we got a lot to get to today. The Orlando Magic, Danny's going to join me for that one. And then the Phoenix Suns, Michael Schwartz of ESPN, formerly Valley of the Suns, will be back again this year as well. He did an awesome job, actually took my class at Sports Business Classroom two years ago just to help with his work at ESPN. So he'll be on in our second portion, Danny joining us for the first one. But a couple of announcements to start with here. First, I want to remind you guys, I've actually been on his podcast a couple of times before, but he asked me to let you guys know, because, and I'm doing it because I think his show is great and I think you guys would enjoy it. Uh, Josh Lloyd, if, for those of you interested in fantasy or DFS, has a great fantasy podcast, the best one that I know of, you know, the closest thing really to dunked on with fantasy. I don't know a ton about fantasy, but I've listened to a show when I've been on there i've always had a good time his knowledge level is uh really good he's five days a week just like we are so check that out it's locked on fantasy basketball with josh lloyd and then the other thing i've got a couple of messages recently saying hey like why do you have to swear on the show it doesn't add anything i want to listen with my kids and now i can't uh i really have never really cared about it that much that's just how i speak naturally we're in a business where people swear a lot when you're just having conversations with people around the league people on the court swear that's just how people who are in the nba generally talk not everyone obviously you know steph curry probably not can hear him swearing very much but i want to encourage some feedback on this so feel free to hit me up uh, on twitter just in my mentions at nate duncan nba and weigh in if you're someone who really like it's an issue for you and you find that you can't listen to it and it takes a lot away let me know if you like it because we're just so edgy uh i mean and they'll they'll always be podcasts like the one with aaron jackson like you know that that one i warned you guys ahead of time it was going to be pretty heavy because that's just you know, that's like the way our rapport is. But anyway, enough of that. But I wanted to solicit some feedback. And if enough people say, hey, like, we really don't like it when you do this, it's like negatively impacts the show. We can either cut down or, or stop or at least give a warning when we are going to do it. You know, when we talk about the latest Knicks moves, sometimes it's difficult not to. We're sponsored today by Helix Sleep. HelixSleep.com slash Capspace is your URL to get $50 off a custom mattress. And that is the mattress I sleep on. I couldn't recommend it more highly. So Danny's going to join us here for the Orlando Magic. Eddie Rivera is out of the business. He's been on the last two years. So not knowing anyone personally for the Magic, I wanted to have Danny on. And, uh, you know, I know you guys miss him a lot anyway. So it's good to have him back. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. And the Magic, I thought, were an interesting one for this because while I thought about their offseason a fair amount, I hadn't really thought about what this team was put all together. And this was a good impetus for really spending some time with that. Yeah. And when we did our over-under, I didn't realize just how bad their point differential was last year. They won 29 games a year ago, point differential of a 24-win team. And the big problem that I thought they had last year was that their bench was just really bad and you didn't think of them especially after they signed Biombo, they re-signed Evan Fournier they traded for Terrence Ross they had Serge Ibaka for part of the year we we're talking about how they had too many guys on this team you know Aaron Gordon couldn't even play at the four because they had so many quality options in theory and yet when they went to their bench they were absolutely miserable last year give you some net ratings for some of their bench guys the starters you know were all in the negative three to negative five range Jeff Green, negative 9.1 net rating. Bismack Biombo, negative 9.4. CJ Watson, negative 9.9. Mario Hazonia, who was truly horrendous, got a ton of playing time that he didn't deserve last year. 
negative 15.1. DJ Augustin, negative 15.1 net rating. And all these guys played 960 or more minutes. You know, this is like basically half of their minutes they're getting from guys who the team was just completely ineffective with them on the floor. And they have made some moves now to address that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the Shelvin Mack contract, first of all, Shelvin Mack is a better player than DJ Augustine, so that will help. But also the fact that they didn't have to get him on a multiple year contract, he, he will be a significant factor in this jonathan simmons yeah. i don't know exactly where he's going to fit in the rotation but having another capable wing just makes everything else easier i'm not the biggest Aaron follow fan but getting him getting him in there instead of mario hazonia the church i i'm not going to say the church is burned down but the church has basically been ransacked at this point so we'll have to see you know maybe maybe it'll get another pledge drive but i think it's it's on its last legs in terms of me being the bishop of it and just yeah, the t- overall the tithing tithing is uh uh, has really oh. gone awry for for yeah uh, it, it really it, has and then also you pass the collection plate around and uh yeah it, it's gonna be empty <laughs> and then and then the other question with this is gonna be how they manage their front court rotation because jonathan isaac i think is gonna be a part of it we just don't know where it's gonna fit in and and marie spates is gonna help too so they have an over overlap at center they have too many guys but i think that's a better problem to have than some of the other things that, that they've got and they're, they're not shallow anymore generally speaking and but of course injuries can devastate them just like any other team team at their level of quality one or two starters missing time just sabotages the team yeah this is of course where mediocre backup point guards who get overpaid go to die but mac did not get overpaid six million for this year and we hated it when we thought that second year was guaranteed but it turns out that second year is completely non-guaranteed although he does have an early guarantee date for next year that they'll have to decide on cj watson no longer in the picture augustin now presumably will be relegated to third point guard role and and you mentioned john simmons they can actually put out i think some pretty decent defensive lineups now they'll have some more space on the floor they actually scored this team the biggest problem when they had all these bench guys out there bad on both ends but in particular when they had these bench guys out there last year they were in some of the offensive ratings for these dudes were awful like bismack biombo of all those guys i mentioned had the best of that whole group with a 99 offensive rating which of course would be worse than the league not to completely hijack this conversation though i do think there's a part of this that's relevant, but I, it will tie in in a way that'll make sense later. When I started really thinking about the magic in particular, I started focusing in on two different decisions that I think are going to define this season for them, both for Frank Vogel. And it's that there are three guys who I think we can lock into starters when they're healthy, Alfred Payton, Evan Fournier, and Aaron Gordon. How he approaches the other two starting spots is going to be fascinating because it's guys that have very specific strengths and weaknesses. So at center, presumably it's going to be Nick Vucevic or it's going to be Bismack Biombo. One guy is talented offensively and pretty bad defensively. The other guy is limited offensively and, you know, capable defensively. We'll see if he's more of 16-17 or 15-16 because he was pretty great defensively in 15-16. And then similarly, at the other wing spot, they could go with Simmons or they could go with Terrence Ross, both of whom they've acquired in the last six months or so. And so I want to see how Vogel makes those decisions. And then those will have ripple effects through the bench because if he goes offense, then they're going to have less offense on the second unit if he goes with a balance then they're gonna have more balance and so on and so forth yeah that's interesting to think of fournier I think it's probably going to be Simmons. That's who I think I would start. Bring Ross off the bench. To, That's to get what some I would do too. 
And, well, and think, that ties you know, in his... with something that I'm, I'm t- I was talking about this a little bit with David Locke with the Jazz, which is defense first wings are much better to have on your first unit than your second unit because there's actually somebody that they can make a difference on. Having a uh, a defensively capable wing on the backup unit is kind of it's kind of like a hammer without a nail. Yeah, it is interesting though with Simmons, a reluctant shooter who'll get hot every once in a while, but it was has not been a quality option from three. Aaron Gordon, Peyton, they may just not have enough shooting on the floor right and I think if you are going to start with those two guys then you probably need to start Vucevic as well right because if you have Biombo, now you're really just not going to be able to score at all and Peyton it took some steps forward down the end of last year had a nice run of triple doubles we'll talk about whether we think he can sustain that going forward later on but yeah they are really going to have to mix and match and but if you're going to play Ross and Fournier that means either one of those two guys has to guard the best wing threat on the other team or you have Aaron Gordon do that and now one of those guys has to guard the power forward and they're both probably not physical enough to be able to do that and you know I'm not sure that John Simmons is either but he can guard most of those big guys or uh, you know most of those wing threats and let Gordon be more uh, of a help defender and rebounder so I do think that Simmons and Gordon go together and I think that for Frank Vogel a defense first coach giving him the options to do that will be helpful it's just really the problem that they are going to have on this team is just the lack of firepower offensively. And I think that's probably going to be the case just about no matter who they put out there. And so they might as well at least like be able to defend. It's worth taking a second to appreciate just how bad they were offensively last year. I mean, for the for the overall season, they had an offensive rating of 101.2. And that was better after they made the big trade. They were 8-16 and 16 after the All-Star break, but they had a 102.9 offensive rating. The problem is they were even worse defensively after the trade than they actually were before it, which we had been we had been surprised at how poorly they had done. So, I mean, last year they were just they were just a bad team in a lot of different phases. And I think they'll be better this year, but they have to make up so much ground to get decent enough offensively to not sabotage their defense. Yeah, that's a great point. And Ross, we mentioned that they at least scored okay when he was out there, but then they were atrocious defensively, 110 defensive rating when he was out there as well. And and I think you saw some of the difficulties, again, where he basically, he and Fournay together, one of those guys is going to have to guard someone and neither of them are particularly equipped to do so. The other guy that so, I think we could, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I was going to do a commercial, but- uh, No, do, do a commercial. We'll talk, I was going to talk about John Isaac. We can talk about him later. Yeah. No, that uh, that'll definitely be interesting to see where he fits in, and maybe he can he can play a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, l- let's do that commercial from our aforementioned friends at Helix Sleep. The story with Helix Sleep, you're familiar likely as a longtime listener at this point, one of our earliest sponsors. And the way they became a sponsor was I actually reached out to them because I loved their product. I had tried one of these one size fits all mass mattress delivery companies. That was always kind of ridiculous marketing to me. Like, why would you say, oh yeah, we finally have found the one mattress that will work for everyone and oh by the way it's so much less expensive than any other mattress like that never made any sense to me but we tried it and uh, ended up returning it both my girlfriend and i got back pain she actually found helix sleep and that was more encouraging because we could actually customize it for ourselves and we were able to agree through their algorithm i guess not technically agreeing but their algorithm said that we're pretty close to each other in terms of our preferences on the blend but you could also just get a totally split mattress uh 
for it's still all one piece but it's different on each side for a couple as well that two to three minute sleep quiz builds you a custom mattress it arrives seven to ten days later in a box about the size of a box of golf clubs and the shipping is free you try it for a hundred nights and if you don't love it they'll pick it up and refund you in full the way to get started with them helixsleep.com slash capspace is that url capspace easy to remember that url because we talk about it all the time on the program and you get fifty dollars toward your custom mattress that's helixsleep.com slash capspace for fifty dollars off your order helixsleep.com slash capspace so yeah let's talk about jonathan isaac number six pick in the draft i thought i think i had him fourth on my board behind dennis smith who was number three so good value there for the magic not a guy who necessarily profiles as the offensive superstar that they're looking for and if you want to find out more about him we talked he didn't do play a ton in summer league i think he had a hip injury after like two and a half games but we did do a very extensive 20 minute scouting report on him back in may so check that out but i'm not sure how much he is going to help this year because he's a rookie but the idea of him and gordon together as a defensive front court is exciting due to his shooting ability on offense and then that he could potentially alleviate that problem we we're talking about where he can now play the four and gordon can guard threes and now you really you've got something defensively i think that's a potential option and also i'm intrigued by the idea long term of playing those guys together at the four and the five because then you have the spacing that has eluded them without sacrificing as much defensively so a lot of that is going to depend on what jonathan isaac does well against nba competition whether he's more of a weak side defender whether he can switch all of those sorts of things and then really what his game is offensively why he was intriguing going back to the 2016 hoop summit was that his jumper mechanically is pretty solid you know he played on a, in a weird situation at florida state but offensively he's not going to set the world on fire but he's capable and if you're looking for a support piece that's all you that's all you really need you don't need every guy to be able to run a pick and roll and be able to handle just do their do their stuff well work hard and then if they're capable defensively as he is let that sing and that's why i think isaac can be a very useful part of a very good team i don't think the magic are there yet i don't think isaac is there yet but i want to see what what signs he shows in terms of where he's going to excel in the league and then theoretically a lot of it is based on just the supply where you where you pick in the draft but how they build from here moving forward with that knowledge yeah, nine one standing reach for Isaac, as I recall. I'm a little bit less sanguine about his ability to play center than you are, but maybe against some teams it could work. But he does block shots pretty well with that reach. Ferocious defensive rebounder, considering his thin build, and really competes on the glass. Gets on the offensive glass as well solid two foot leaper not a very good one foot leaper a lot of times you'll see these skinny guys are real good at like covering a lot of ground with euro steps he doesn't really do that that's something that he needs to add to his game and he may not be able to it's tough to really improve your one foot jump i think as much as as your two foot jump but nonetheless uh and i do think it's possible that isaac could become like a very good offensive player more than just a guy who's going to be a support piece hitting threes his first step is very quick for his size that's something that i've liked and his handle is not bad for his size either i mean he doesn't have like kevin durant type of length or anything like that he's not that level of shooter either or scorer but i do think he's someone who could put the ball on the floor he's shown some decent passing vision at times it's a lot of flashes he's a little bit older for a guy who's drafted after his his freshman year so i don't anticipate it's likely that he will get to be you know a primary or secondary option necessarily but i do think he fits so well in the modern game and 
and really my only concern about him is just that maybe he doesn't shoot it that well you know maybe he's just going to be a 34 35 percent three-point shooter rather than a 37 38 percent guy uh, but you know it's a, he's got a long way to go to see whether he's uh going to be able to hit shots or not uh, i mean he's got to get to 750 attempts really before we have a good idea of what he is there but i, I am excited about him and it is my hope that he will get pretty much all of the minutes off the bench at the three and four be the primary backup there to start with that also makes sense for them to go with more of a rotation style than a true second unit because they also really have a three-man quote-unquote swingman rotation with ross fournier and jonathan simmons so going a little bit a little bit swapping guys in and out and also they need to figure out what the heck they have so getting that can really help figure and then maybe once you once you develop that then you can say oh these guys work well and then maybe you make an addition at the deadline or something like that or next year and then you can build from there but right now they're just i think they're more of like an eight deep team than a 10 deep team so work with that what do you think of bringing evan fournier off the bench for these guys and here's why that appeals to me i know they have by far the largest investment with him that five-year 85 million dollar deal that we said was a good deal for the magic and it was in the context of 2016 but then it also probably looking like a bit of an overpay for him at this point didn't take quite the step forward maybe that, that would have been hoped but for fournier i think he's really the only other guy who can do anything off the dribble on this team shelvin mack is not going to be able to create at that level he can hit open shots he's sturdy he defends doesn't screw up but really Peyton and Fournier are the only two guys who can do anything off the dribble so if not bringing Fournier off the bench at least staggering him putting him in with Mac and then when you have Peyton you'd have Ross Simmons Gordon and then you could go either Biombo or, or Vucevic we'll talk about which way we think they should go there as well but what do you think of that idea Danny? It's sort of my white whale to see a team that correctly uses a guy as a starter and then as a full-fledged backup too but that's really what they should do with Fournier they need to stagger those two guys because they really only have two players that can run their offense it's it, this is actually the, the best model for this I think that has existed recently is Portland Portland really only has two guys with Lillard and McCollum and they've been able to separate them enough to make it to make it work and that's the model that Orlando has to be using at this point if Vogel can pull that off using him as the starter yes if but it, but if they can't then the only way their second unit is going to function offensively is with Fournier the problem there though is that I think Fournier is one of their best players and so most teams don't have the nuance especially if they can't figure that rotation thing out to play somebody who comes off the bench a lot of minutes so whatever it takes to get that to happen but I think what you do is you start him you give him a quick hook probably for Ross and then you bring him back in when Peyton comes out yeah and Ross has been successful as a bench scorer Mm -hmm. as well so I don't think that there are really clear answers and that's in part because they don't necessarily have a lot of complete players on this team at the moment they have some guys i mean this team it's just it's too bad too because they have like all these guys you know backup point guard who knows like mac he's the type of guy who just like these kind of mediocre average backup point guards like you think he's a solution at least they didn't commit to him but you know they've seen what happens when they sign guys cj watson dj august and they think of the solution and then they just fall off a cliff in orlando in part because maybe there's not as much firepower at the other positions what about center i mean it's biombo vucevic both prideful guys 
guys. Vucevic believes himself to be a starter, got a nice contra- contract. Then Biombo eclipsed him in terms of contract. And then both of them were just terrible last year. Yeah, I mean, you you run into this issue where if Biombo was what I thought he would be, I think that he's the starter because that defensive reliability at center is so important for a team. And while their offense was what failed them last year, they can't be as bad defensively as they were and be competitive. So I would kind of think that way. The problem with that is Biombo has to actually earn it. If he plays as poorly as he did last year, then you can't start him because he's not good enough. And so I think... Yeah, but but neither is Vucevic either. You know, I mean, it's... And Vucevic, at least maybe you can give you some more off the second unit. And and Vogel tried starting Biombo. He tried starting Vucevic. Neither of them got it together. I mean, Vucevic in in many ways... Just play lots of most Spates. Yeah, that's true. I I mean, maybe maybe Spates, like in a lot of these situations, could be the answer. Now, he's probably even worse than Vucevic defensively, which is... uh, as long Pretty as NBA teams there. know that they can put him in pick and roll, then yeah, he's worse than Vooch because I mean, holy yeah, crap! But at least yeah, at least he'll just stand out by the three point line, and I I like he's someone that I actually recommended that they sign. Now him going back to not being in a winning situation in Orlando, you know, near near his uh, where he grew up, you know, I'm not sure that he's going to come in in like amazing shape or anything. He may just not give them that much. Uh, but the idea of him for a team that doesn't have a ton of creators, just so who can stand at someone who can stand out by the three-point line which he has now embraced jack up shots and then they have a great role guy in Aaron Gordon if you actually give him space I mean Vucevic the hope was that he could break out to the three-point line but he just doesn't want to do that he wants to be a scorer he wants to take two-point jumpers he wants to feel like he's not just like standing there he wants to at least be involved in the action and there was a time he was always overrated but last year it really just fell apart for him I'll give you some stats on his performance last year as the pick and roll roll man, you know, usually a very efficient play type, but uh, mostly popping, uh, he averaged 0.88 points per possession. That was 22nd percentile in the league. And he rolled to the basket really only about a quarter of the time compared to popping and just was not hitting the jump shot. I mean, his mid ranger was way off overall. Uh, spot ups, most of those long twos also was not hitting those shots. Uh, he was ineffective in the post as well. 23% of his possessions there, uh, 0.8 points per possession, 27th percentile. Uh, that was quite poor as well for him. And just his shooting on long twos, usually a staple of his game that he could shoot, you know, in the mid forties there really fell off a cliff. Um, well, actually not that bad. I mean, he was shooting about 42% on long twos uh, and tried to take some threes, only 31% there, not a, a ton of shots from out there. And then of course he never, ever gets to the foul line either, which is a, a big reason why he's inefficient. And he had a below 500 true shooting percentage and league average is 55%. And that's your center who's supposed to be, you know, the most efficient guy on the team in a lot of cases. He could end up being the piece. And you talked about this a little bit at the beginning of that, that helped unlock some of the stagnation on their second unit because if they're if they're not going to do the full stagger with Evan Fournier because Max creation in that form is is limited that he he could do that just because you can't defend him in the same way and a lot of teams don't have help defenders or things like that at power forward that can really dissuade guys at the rim so they'll just face so much less resistance that they can finish a little bit better there yeah and maybe at center Biombo can be someone who if he could get back to the level that he was two years ago and maybe he'll be motivated now to do that so who would you start 
from these so, guys. So if they're going to start Simmons, which I think they should, if you're going with that, I think you want to give Vooch the first chance at it. But I would be very, very ready if Biombo delivers in, in training camp even. Like, it doesn't have to be in the season itself to move him in. But my assumption would be Simmons, Vooch, and then be ready to only switch in Biombo. I would not then make the corresponding change with Ross if Biombo is motivated and active and making a difference. Yeah, Vucevic is a very nice passer. Uh, he actually had a higher assist rate than Evan Fournier did last year, amazingly enough. So he's taken that on. But, you know, I do think Biombo at least has the possibility to be a lead at something. Whereas Vucevic, I'm just, you know, he can create shots and that's about it and pass a little bit. But, you know, I don't think he's really a positive effect on your offense or your defense, if we're being honest. You know, he's he's scored a lot just because, you know, teams need someone who can score. But I still don't think he's like really booting your offense. So, And I think for Frank Vogel, especially, never been a guy to like unlock the latent potential of his offensive players to just say, hey, you know what? This is our identity. We're going to defend. We can, we can be elite defensively still to believe that, that that's something that this Orlando Magic team can do. I was so disappointed, obviously, in their defense a year ago with the personnel they had Serge Ibaka was kind of checked out you know there's a number of reasons for that they played Azonia and terrible bench all these minutes etc etc but I still think it's possible that they can get there and that having an elite defense is the one way that they could really overachieve this year and if you're playing Vucevic as a starter and especially in crunch time too that just there's no way to have a good defense with him out here it really would be extremely difficult is now a good time to mention that Aaron Gordon only shot 1.4 percent better from three than Evan than Alfred Payton did I mean Aaron Gordon shot 28.8 percent on threes last year taking 3.3 of them a game if he can't improve that then your spacing is kind of nuked either way yeah, I, I think that's right, especially if Vucevic isn't going to pop out to three. So I think I would start with Biombo. I imagine it's just going to be musical chairs there the whole time. And Vucevic certainly you know, could be an issue in the locker room if he's not starting. But you know what? Like He's not playing well enough to be able to have that level of pull where we're, we're going to try to keep this dude well, happy. And, and the awkwardness that it's not like anybody's going to be interested in a lot of these centers on the trade market, especially guys that have contracts next year. Like We're, we're seeing this now. Like I, I've been thinking about it a little bit with Valanciunas too. Like Valanciunas and Vooch are on very reasonable contracts, but there just isn't that much of an appetite for guys yeah. who do what they do. I don't think they could dump Vucevic for nothing right now. I don't either. I really don't, which is amazing to think about. I mean, because people are like, oh, this is such a good contract. I never was a believer in that. I didn't like that extension. And people believed, oh, they got him on such a reasonable price. I, I, just, I just never really thought that he contributed to winning basketball. Um, and of One course, thing that I worry... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And of course, if he's untradeable on his contract Biombo making about five million more for an extra year is even more untradeable yeah so you just opt into his player option now or uh oh no you wait just in case you know there's there's always yeah, a no, chance no, I, I, I was kidding yeah it's uh, so who do we think can get better uh, on this team from last year you know I, I think both Vooch and Biombo can't be worse <laughs> than they were a, a year ago uh and uh, you know, I, I, whether it's just getting to the basket a little bit more. I mean, I think part of Vucevic's problem too was just he didn't have the spacing to operate on, on those post ups and was really inefficient there. You know, with Aaron Gordon at the three, and they've spaced out Ibaka, but he's he's never like that big of a volume guy where he's really you know has so much gravity. Like the theory was that he could just space out and let Gordon operate closer to the basket, but that that didn't really work that that well. Um, 
So, but I think both those guys could play better. And Biombo, for whatever reason, just didn't play as hard. Wasn't the force inside. He's always going to be an offensive liability, but at least you know you expect him to defensive rebound, block shots, move his feet well in pick and roll defense. I guess the the other guys that you really look at as having a, a chance to get a lot better, you'd think would probably be Peyton and Gordon. Yeah, I, th- I think both of those guys you expect to get better, but Peyton, we'll talk about his second half in a second, but I want to talk a little bit about Evan Fournier. So Fournier last year, he did only play in 68 games. He had the, the lowest percentage of his shots coming in the restricted area of his of his Orlando career. There was one year in Denver where he had fewer, but do that. And also it was the lowest success rate and also it was the worst three-point shooting of his, of his career there and the lowest three-point percentage. So he was taking more in the mid-range. He wasn't making shots from the place he needs to make it. And he's young enough that I think he could turn around. And while Peyton and Gordon are more essential for where this team is going long-term, because and they're complicated with their contract negotiations, Fournier could be very important to unlocking the potential of those two guys offensively just by having somebody else who defenses have to pay attention to. So, yeah, I, I think that's right. And you know, Fournier wasn't totally inefficient last year. I mean, I think his season was viewed as a disappointment just because the whole team disappointed but you know he wasn't that much worse than would have been expected especially on a team where he's really asked to do too much you know he's really kind of you think of him as kind of more like a Chandler Parsons of two guards you know that's that's kind of how I think of him as an offensive player not a dominating guy but can run a pick and roll can pass a little bit get to the basket a little bit hit some open shots not like a dominating shooter but someone who is capable you know and teams need someone like that but of course he was miscast uh let's talk about Peyton so after the all-star break they scored quite well when he was on the floor they actually had a positive net rating 2.4 111 offensive rating with him out there I think he played a fair amount with Ross during that period usage right about average 20 percent but the big thing for him was actually to get his efficiency above league average 56 percent true shooting after that and then it really started to get a lot of assists 18 percent defensive rebound rate as well so that's how you see he's starting to get those triple doubles uh i mean what did you see from him down the end of the year was it anything different that made you think that you know he's turned some type of a corner or was it just eh, you know it's the end of the year like he's flashing but you know that's it i thought he looked good i thought he looked more engaged broadly speaking and i actually thought that he he showed a little bit more vision past as well that as he got a little bit more comfortable with his shot that there things were opening up but I think it also helped to have Terrence Ross into some of the just malaise and garbage that was around this team in the first half of the year that that helped a little bit but I'm not sure that it's going to continue when a guy is as, as kind of as shaky as he is as a shooter from from three you worry a little bit about it and he shot below 70 percent barely below 70 percent but below 70 percent from the line last year so I want to I want to like him there you know if he could ever get like to league average or close to it in terms of true shooting percentage he would bring enough of the other stuff that i think he could be value he could be valuable but we're seeing teams now because there are fewer of them around the league and coaches are getting better we're seeing teams have a better handle on what to do with point guards who are not only bad shooters but who are reluctant shooters number of ways he took steps forward last year statistically shooting better around the rim from his rookie year to last year up to 61 percent around the rim that is outstanding for a point guard also improved from floater range uh, 43% out there and then on long twos outside of 16 feet he went from 25% to 40% as even though the three-point shooting declined he looked more comfortable just in general shooting threes still not taking a ton of them upped it to 16% of his shots but at least if he could make a long two when they go 
way under against him or at least be like somewhat of a threat there I think that's helpful he also really slashed his turnover rate down to 15 percent which is getting close to average and he upped his usage rate and his assists as well so it's really been incremental across the board improvements and then you know the his first two years horrible true shooting up to 52 percent overall last season and so if he can just continue to take these incremental steps forward all of a sudden you do have yourself a, a starting point guard and we did a little bit ago the extension negotiations Feldman totally cheaped out on that <laughs> but it's uh you know I think they could potentially come to to an agreement uh, or not uh, you know because there's not a ton of teams that need point guards next season and he is you know was the darling of the previous regime not this one so he may be required to prove it but I do think that it's possible he evolves into being a solid starter at point guard not a guy with star potential but a, a solid starter is maybe in the cards for him his improvement is definitely encouraging. Something else that I want to watch though is his free throw attempt rate. So you rewrite that he was getting to the he was getting to the basket not more than last year, but not more than his rookie year. But his free throw attempt rate went from 30% to 26% to 23%. While he's not a great free throw shooter, that's a good indicator of aggressiveness and everything like that. And you don't want to trade free throws for mid-range shots, even if you're doing better at those than you were before. Yeah. Although it's fair to note that he's in increasing his usage so it's not like he's taking less raw free throws right, I do right. think he's that just taking a fewer proportion you know, of his shots yeah sometimes we focus on free throw rate a little bit too much whereas you know if you're still taking eight you know not eight free throws is a lot but let's say you're still taking five free throws a game but you're taking two more shots as well you know I don't think that that means you're attacking the basket less necessarily it means that you're just adding more shots to your game uh, last bit here on Peyton as the pick and roll ball handler about average which is a step up uh, for him as well terrible on spot ups uh, we knew that that would be the case uh, for him and generally we saw teams go under on him a lot that was the strategy i mean it, it's separated out into when the defender goes over or under and 37 percent of the time defenders went under when and this is on plays where he shot the ball and that was pretty ugly uh only 28th percentile in those situations and so still needs to do a little bit more there and just get slightly more competent and he's taking steps forward every season but he's got to be able to be dynamic enough to get that third guy over in the pick and roll if the big can hang back if you could just go under it really becomes much more difficult to be successful and for him to exercise that solid passing vision that he does have something i just looked up only three players who were on the magic or sorry it's only two who were on the magic last year who are on the magic this year had a, a per over 15 Peyton at 17.2 and Vooch at 19.1. Everybody else was under and most of the guys were under 12. That's a problem. Yeah, I mean, and that just underscores the fact that they just don't have any kind of dynamic shot creator. And they're drafting i mean they haven't had any well i i shouldn't say that because uh you know hazonia is on this team but they've never really drafted the guy who's just like all right this is someone that we know is going to be a great shot creator though you know i think they've drafted some quality players over the years they've never really gotten the guy where you're just like all right this guy is just a really talented offensive player they draft athletic guys peyton gordon oladipo and hope that they're going to become that and they haven't necessarily um very quickly here is there any hope for hazonia at 
at all? A little. I mean, he still uh, he still has a jump shot that I I like mechanically, and he's actually you know every once in a while you see a flash from him as like a passer ball handler that's not terrible, but he has to take what has happened to him in stride and really work at it. And it, he's a good reminder also that every player who gets into the NBA has to improve so much to stay in the NBA because it's a very very talented league. And so if he does that, you know, if he takes those steps, if he understands that he's probably going to be playing, you know, 10 minutes or less in almost every time he's in and and says, okay, I'm going to go gangbusters for those minutes and do the best that I can while also playing within myself, then yeah, I think there's a way to do that. Now, is there a way for him to justify his draft position? Probably not for the the duration of his rookie scale contract. So, but I think you just treat that as a sunk cost and deal with him as he is right now. His rookie year wasn't that terrible statistically. Shot 35% on threes. And his big problem, obviously, is terrible defensively. But although he doesn't have horrible tools there, but his shot just hasn't gotten any. Shot 30% on threes. 33% 33% on long twos, doesn't ever get to the basket, doesn't, you know, he somehow shot only 52% at the rim after 66% his first year and never ever gets to the foul line either, you know, which is something that was the case in Europe for him as well. and was a big concern going into the draft that has in fact played out. So like the ball's just got to go in for him. And I'm not going to say that that's impossible. He's a guy who's made shots before, has a reputation as a shooter, but he is starting to feel very nick. Stauskasy, and you know maybe he gets to the point where he could be somewhat effective hits shots but he's just it seems like he just is not going to be one of these guys who gives you much else he, even though he's in another league from Stauskas athletically he's another he's one of these guys who just you know other than just nice dunks on the fast break you don't see him do anything with that athleticism he also has a fourth year player or fourth year team option which they have to decide on this year for 5.2 million for next year and the magic are in a tough spot because they have meaningful cap holds about a combined 25 million in holds for Gordon and Payton, which could be in one or both cases replaced with actual salary if they agree to an extension. But I have it that they have about 8 million in in space between that and the luxury tax for next year. But remember that their draft pick, assuming that they're not going to make the playoffs, which they with which they probably are not, that's going to eat into that a lot. And a lot of their other salary is not exactly movable. So that 5 million that they're paying him could potentially make a big difference. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he gets his that option declined because even so, like, what is he going to do this year where he would get a $5 million a year contract on the market next year? They could always just bring him back. I mean, the reason you don't do that is because you think, well, he would get more than this and we're limited, obviously, to pay him what he would have made in his fourth year. But if he plays well internally or shows some growth, then, you know, I mean, there's no way he's going to become like a $15 million player a year, you know, this year, you would think. So especially with all the players he has in front of him so I, I mean unless he just really blows up in camp this year you'd have to imagine that they will in fact decline that option especially considering that the Jeff Weltman regime now has taken over for the Rob Hennigan regime and, and they don't have any sunk costs invested in his own the other factor I guess you could consider there is that that will be the final year of, of Vucevic and Terrence Ross's contract so they will have a lot of money coming off the books for the following year and and Azonia's option doesn't affect that at all so maybe maybe they just roll with it and think they can 
make it make the squeeze work. But I don't think he's worth it, as you said. You know, like the downside risk isn't there. Hazonia could also be the rare player I've said for a long time that if you decline an option on a rookie scale contract, you should be ready to just cut the guy because that's basically the decision you're making. But considering their roster construction and just who's on the market on the wings, he's about as decent a flyer as you're going to get from anybody else. So maybe you do decline the option and just keep him around because you will have bird rights in this weird form. But I mean, it's not like there's somebody else yeah, in the market. They can pay him five million. It's not like they'd be limited to paying him like, you know, one and a half million, like if he were a later draft pick. Or right. Something or like, like the whole so, NS issue. Yeah. Yeah. Although the Lakers amazingly <laughs> got him back, which uh, I, th- I thought the rest of the league kind of blew that because he looked good at the end of yeah, the Yeah. You, you know, a uh, team that blew that? The Orlando yeah. Magic blew that. Um, crunch time lineup. For Frank Vogel, what do you think it'll be? What should it be? So the three starters are, are definitely a part of it. And then I think he'll... But by which you mean Peyton, Fournier, and Gordon? And Aaron Gordon, yeah. And then I'm guessing he's going to go Simmons-Vooch, but I could see him getting back into his comfort zone and going with Biombo there. And you know, if Terrence Ross is having a good game, might as well keep him in. I think those two are pretty fungible, but the base alignment, I think, will be be the same as the starting five I said they, sh- they, they will and should have. Yeah, and you imagine we'll see a lot of offense defense down the stretch though that uh, philosophy will be curbed a bit with some of the new rules eliminating a timeout uh, in the last two minutes for teams now which is fine with me uh because i think you should have some two-way players uh, on your team amazingly enough yeah i think so you know i think it's not wouldn't shock me if it's really going to come down to is Ross or Fournier playing better. I don't know that Fournier will be in there all the time. You know, again, another guy who was a darling of the previous regime, that's who paid him. So if he is not performing and Ross is hot, you know, maybe they do go with more defense. I do think, and Simmons, you know, hopefully Vogel will, will like him. He was a little bit of a prickly personality in San Antonio, kind of wanted out of there. Uh, Gordon, I think, and Peyton are the only two that I would absolutely for sure write in, although I do agree with you, Fournier will be in there a lot. And then really, again, I think with Biombo, Vucevic, it's just going to come down to like who played better in the last five minutes. And I, I do feel that coaches really in those situations, when you have two equal guys there, don't play the matchups enough and go a little bit too much to, all right, who like did better in like the end of the third quarter when they were playing against the backups. Yeah, that's a fair point. I've been struggling with this question since you just since we decided to do this podcast together. What does this team do well? What is going to be their calling card this season when they have successful games? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, like I said, I think they could be okay defensively. I mean, I think they should get some steals. Like Simmons is a good steals guy. Peyton has been very good at that in his rookie year. He's fallen off a little bit lately. That's another place where Peyton can really take a step forward too, is that he has these great defensive tools, but we haven't really seen that yet. The hope is that he can get there. Uh, you know, I think Mac is a solid defensive point guard as well on the second unit. Biombo, maybe he can get there. Gordon, another guy who's probably reputation and athleticism is ahead of where he actually is right now. Uh, but I think they've got some versatility with Gordon, Isaac, John Simmons. Uh, so I, they do it like they have a lot of different looks, I, I guess. And also, I, this is actually something that we could point you to. I think they finally have some depth. You know, they, they're going to be able to, and this is like the biggest reason I expect them to be better this year is just like playing so many fewer players who just suck. You know, I mean, like if you look at their rotation, I mean, maybe Isaac will just, you know, have a Stanley Johnson type of rookie year, but my hope is that he can at least give semi competent play off the bench. And then with Simmons, 
being brought in you know if they hadn't brought in Simmons I think I'd be very worried about their depth but he can play a lot I think they've got three guys at center who can do something and aren't you know really bad at least you hope like that those guys could be a little bit better Vuce and Biombo. so they don't have any just like massive holes in the rotation although we said that at this time last year too and some guys just were awful but as it stands now I think they can at least put you know close to 48 minutes a game at every position of like NBA players out there if I could beam one thought into Frank Vogel's head about this team it would be that I think they should run off everything because they have the personnel now that they can actually play a more aggressive transition system and because their transition offense is going to be so much better than their half court offense so running off makes running off free throw makes just whatever you can do to get that little bit of an advantage because they're more athletic than some of their opponents and they actually have the depth to pull it off now and whatever you could do to get a little bit of advantage because they're going to have to be just grinding out some of these wins and they have the talent to do it and I think what the other thing you could say is their strength is that depending on the day and depending on the performance they do have guys that can get hotter that can make a big difference in one way or another and that was something that they don't have they don't have that like huge crazy score other than that insane game that Ross had but you know they can put out a good defensive five they can put out a capable offensive five they can put out some athletic lineups too so just knowing when to kind of throw out each thing is going to be very important but at least they have those options when they didn't before you said if you could beam one thought into Vogel's head well given his track record you're gonna have to beam that one thought into his head about a thousand times for it to actually take root because that is, has not been the type of game that he's played but especially with Gordon at the four I mean they really have Ross an excellent in transition both getting out leaking out for dunks or just pulling up spreading the floor he's a guy who loves to pull up from three in transition gets great rise on his shot so he's very difficult to close out on in those situations so I agree with you and Peyton we noted his prowess on the defensive glass he can grab and go very well so I think that is something they could be good at but again you know last year from a pace perspective they were actually better than I expected I, mean, I shouldn't say better because there isn't really much of a correlation between this and winning but they had the, the 12th best pace now a lot of that is when you have a bad defense the other team is able to just score so quickly on you that that increases your pace as well uh but yeah the, the and from a, a percentage standpoint in transition they weren't as effective though only 15.3 percent of the time did they have a possession in transition and and they were 38th percentile on the success of those possessions yeah where where does that 15.3 percent rank in terms of like percent or that's actually it's not bad it's actually seven okay all right yeah that's a yeah i was looking at the rank and that was their points per possession but you know they don't have great scores so they're not going to be amazing there but when you compare that to uh how they looked in the half court they're 29th <laughs> so uh and 28th in performance on short shot clock situations as well because which you would very much expect so you're right I and mean, they really do need to push it i mean i don't know if that's a strength but it could be a relative strength certainly uh i mean anything else come to mind that you look at other i mean i guess like they're shooting like they've got some guys who can shoot maybe right ross fournier like if you put those two guys out there maybe I, I guess isaac just, maybe yeah i mean they don't really have like a, any kind of a stretch four option though well i mean I th- i'm sure the they, hope I mean, is yeah, that they could Aaron put Gordon. out yeah it, it yeah. hasn't been so it, far but yeah well, and, and, and if they put spates out there maybe you, you've got a good shooting lineup the, but, the, the, yeah, the broad uh, point with the magic and i'll consider this as a strength is that i think if they could theoretically get guys above everybody they have right now in the totem pole a lot of these things would fall into place like i think peyton can be a good yeah. support player aaron 
Aaron Gordon can be a good support player. Like, you know, if they had the right things around them, they could do it, but they just need that person. Hopefully it comes with the draft. It looks like it's not going to happen through free agency. But like the rest of this team makes sense if you just add somebody who's like a top 30 player on top. It doesn't even have to be like, oh, an MVP candidate. Well, yeah, if they had any team, if they had an MVP candidate, it would be good. But if they could get basically a top 30 player who fills any position, has any role, all the rest of this stuff would make a lot more sense. Yeah, I think that's right. But my fear for them is that they're going to be just ahead of this morass in the East, you know, and end up in like the like 30 wins, 31 wins, you know, eighth, ninth, 10th in the draft once again. Well, and, and that ties in. I, I was listening to it a little bit. I did a podcast with Ben Golliver on Open Floor talking about oh, this was earlier in the summer before I went on my vacation about how I wonder if Frank Vogel is on the, is a, has a hotter seat than some people are thinking because he was hired by the previous front office regime. And if he shows that he's incompatible with this talent, that's one of the ways that they could change the team without having the roster overhaul because they can't really do a roster haul considering where everything is right now. Yeah. Although I really, I mean, like I said, I think their best path to any kind of relevance is getting really good defensively and that Vogel is the guy for that. I'm not sure what other coach is out there that's going to really, you know, uh, be some kind of an offensive genius and get these guys to really perform on the offensive end. What about uh, weaknesses? Where, where, what are other teams going to be attacking for this squad? I and mean, we talked about creation, obviously, ad nauseum already. So we can, we cre- can creation see if we can find and, some and shooting in some of their potential lineups. I mean, they might be trotting out a starting five that has two guys. They are going to be trotting out a starting five that has at least two guys, probably three that shot 30% or lower on threes last year. That's a big problem. And I just, I, I don't think that the, the defensive identity is more in the abstract now than in, in reality. So if they just can't put it together again on that end, then there isn't really a through line for this team to beat capable opponents. Getting to the foul line, a perpetual issue for this team, as typified by Vucevic. Peyton is only, you know, pretty mediocre at that. Fournier, not a guy who's going to go through people. Gordon, every once in a while, you know, just with his athleticism, can get into positions where you have to follow him. But, you know, they don't have anyone who's really, like, good at the dark arts either of just, like, drawing bullshit fouls as well. Like, guys who can just come come off the pick and roll and feel a guy on his back and just pull up and get a foul call. They don't even have anyone who's, who's capable of getting those kind of bs plays so, so that's certainly a concern uh, and, and just the lack of, of two-way guys on this team i mean you really you're hard pressed to find someone at this point you know i think gordon can be effective on both ends with the right talent around him uh, but you know at center you got two you really have all three of those guys are one-way players uh fournier not horrendous defensively but pretty much like a one-way guy simmons kind of one way on defense um ross one way on offense peyton and eh, you know i guess he could be okay on uh, both ways but it, you know they don't definitely don't have anyone who's above average at both ends uh, on this team and that's why you know they're not going to be the very good ultimately uh, let's get to our predictions here what do you got uh, actually no i'm supposed to go first i keep, i always forget that i i'm the host in theory here so i don't want to go first but i probably should just to preserve the integrity of the process here so what was their over under 33 and a half? I think it was 32 and a half, but I'm not sure. 33 is, is my recollection. Uh, but And I think we both went under. You went over initially. <laughs> Thank you for convincing me be, otherwise, because when I did this exercise, I realized, I realized how high that number was. So... I don't think like there are a lot of reasons to think they're going to be better. The biggest one being that they're just going to have so much better of a bench, I think, this year than they did last year. And that 
really just hurt them so badly and just that they've got young guys who should improve i mean there's really there's nobody on this team who's a veteran that, that did anything unsustainable that you think there's no way he's going to be able to do that again right so you think just oh, these individual players should be a little bit better than they were last year and i think biombo and vucevic can both bounce back a little bit right i mean we didn't neither of us hated this con- that contract just in a vacuum for biombo of course you know and, and if he had played last year the way he played in 2015-16 he'd be overpaid he'd probably still be immovable but we wouldn't be talking about him as one of the worst contracts in the league as we did on, on a podcast we did about that like six months ago or whatever so i'm gonna go with uh 31 wins for this group that would only be a two-win improvement from last season but remember they had the point differential of a 24 win team so I, that would actually be seven wins better and uh, i think that they uh, that would be nice progress for this group just good enough to you know still not get a star on this team for the 97th consecutive year in the draft if they had reasonably good health and had about the level of progression that i expect i would be putting them at about 31 wins but if i'm saying most likely scenario i'm going to scale that back a little bit just because that's more of like a 60 to 70 percent outcome as opposed to a 50 so I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with 29 a repeat of last year but much better fundamentals so like they're maybe like a 29 30 win like expected win loss and that that's where they end up to well you did hit on one thing that I had noticed and then I forgot to mention is that pretty much they were pretty healthy last year mm-hmm. a, a season ago Peyton played 82 Gordon played 80 although he did have I think I, that calf issue I, know, I think it was a foot issue that hobbled him in the dunk contest so he wasn't playing healthy the whole year Fournier 68 games beyond 81 Vooch 75 Ibaka was healthy for all the games he played uh so they could take a step back in health but they do have some depth I mean other than Peyton and Gordon who are both guys really have not been hurt at all in their careers I think Gordon missed some time with like a broken face or something but uh other than those two guys I don't see anyone on this team who's like oh if this guy goes down we like don't have a replacement for him so I think they can weather injuries reasonably well so yeah I, I will stick with that 31 uh best case scenario for these guys and do you think there's any way they could challenge for the playoffs they could challenge for the playoffs if it's going to take mid 30s to get in i could see them winning yeah. 30 34 to 36 games i mean really the way that comes if, if it comes to them which is also an absolute disaster for their long-term potential in some ways it could be like that bucks team <laughs> where they like they they make the playoffs when they shouldn't have and then they just they they kind of take it take the wrong lesson from it, it ended up working out pretty well for the bucks but you, you, that's sort of an issue but sure i mean if it's if it's a 35 win eighth spot in the east then sure again i don't expect that to be the case i think it's going to be more like 38 to 40 but it could come to them would you have taken dennis smith if you were these guys yes i had dennis smith as i I would have too yeah i mean i know they have peyton but like he's just like i said like has the potential to be the superstar dynamic creator and i like isaac a lot i probably like isaac more than just about anyone else but i still i don't think i would have gone with smith just and yeah i get they have peyton maybe you could trade him maybe you just don't extend him whatever like but i think he's he's not good enough to take you over the mountain top. I think you'd be a quality NBA player, but for where how, this how, team is, you just you had to gamble on the upside. How often do you get the chance to take a potential top half point guard or primary ball handler if you want to define it that way after the fifth pick in the draft? I mean, because Orlando is in this perilous spot where they're a little bit too good to get the best draft picks, and those guys don't usually fall. Dennis Smith falling was was a piece of good 
fortune. You kind of have to just take that lightning when it comes. It's like the, you know, you discovered plutonium by accident. You have to, you have to maximize it to that degree. And it's a shame that they didn't. I like Jonathan Isaac too, but there are, there having Jonathan Isaac doesn't provide you, even if he's as good as both of us hope and to a degree expect that he will be, then Dennis Smith. And w- especially when you look down the pipeline, the point guard prospects in 2017 or sorry, 20, the 2017, 18 college class aren't as good and they don't have enough space to get a guy in free agency, even if Alfred Payton leaves or whatever happens there. So that was the real last chance. Whereas you can pull a talented defensive player from other places. It's just a lot easier to get. Alfred Payton might be the best player on this team. And I still think that he limits the ceiling of this squad. That's depressing, but true. And it's quite possible that Isaac could end up better than Smith too. I mean, it's, oh, certainly. There's, there are a lot of red flags. It's all he about probability. People get confused yeah. by that. They say like, oh, just because you have somebody higher than somebody else on the board, that means you're guaranteeing they're going to be better. Absolutely not. Like, I mean, we both criticize the Bulls for taking Lowry Markinen over Dennis Smith. There's certainly a chance that he's better than him too. It's just that we think it's more likely, and I would say meaningfully more likely, that Dennis Smith will be better. Well, and Smith just has the, the talent and the physical profile that you could envision it being a top five player at his position. And I just, I think the chances of Isaac becoming that are exceedingly low. Just, I, I don't see him as that. It could happen maybe, but I, it's that is very much at odds with just the type of personality and game that he has showed well, so far. So I want to make a comparison here. Like one of the, some of the stuff that I like about Isaac and his kind of his, his versatile defensive game, just in terms of what he can do is, you know, like something that I like about Paul Millsap is that Millsap, you know, he guy who can get blocks and get steals. I think Isaac can eventually do both those. I think he's a better switching defender, but like, let's say he, even though they're different players that Isaac eventually is, is had provides as much defensive value as Paul Millsap, he's still not going to provide probably the offensive value of Millsap. And you know, that's not damning somebody for anything. I mean, Millsap's a great player, but if that's kind of where you're defining like a, a successful career for him, Dennis Smith could be more than that. Yeah. That, that's to, getting too far in the weeds. I, I still think Isaac is going to be good. So I mean, the I. number of players who are really, you know, above average on both ends, yeah, and if, uh, and if you, you that, don't see many of those. If that had gone differently, like way. let's say one of the teams above them takes him, then we're praising the Jonathan Isaac pick a lot. Like it's only one guy that we liked better than Isaac. Yeah, and really, I mean, if you're drafting number six, and and you know, statistically, there will be probably more than one player who's better than Isaac. That's just how it works. But if there, if only one guy in the draft ends up better than the guy that you picked, you probably actually did pretty well. Uh, maybe unless you're drafting at number one, but even even in those cases. Um, all right, but let's get back to the best case scenario here. I mean, I mean, making the playoffs, but in, in terms of number of wins, I like. Do you think they could be a top ten defense? I think they could. I think it'd be possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's possible. Unlikely. Yeah. I mean, they were 22nd last year, so they got a ways to go, but... Do you think they can break 20th in offense? No, no chance. But they could break 25th. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, could, just because there's some other teams... I mean, that's an interesting thought, right? Like, who is who do we think is be worse than them uh, on offense? Chicago. <laughs> Yeah, Chicago, Atlanta. Atlanta, I think probably will be worse. Indiana, probably right about the same level. I probably Indiana's probably might be worse. I think Indiana uh, might I be think better. They'll be actually. right in that. Yeah, maybe Brooklyn. Uh, maybe I like. I think I like Brooklyn better. Um, the Pistons, depending on what happens with Reggie Jackson, could potentially fall into that category. The Knicks, maybe if they shed mellow early. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows what happens with their their point guard situation? And Sacramento is, is going to be in that same range. As 
as well. So, I mean, I, you know, if I had to ballpark it, I, I'd say, you know, between like 26th and 23rd is about where I expect these guys to end up on, on offense, which would be a massive step forward from last year. Yeah, I mean, so if we're putting that in last year's terms, that would be an increase of about two, a little over two points per hundred possessions from where they were. And if they're improving on defense too, that cuts their margin by a lot. Yeah, and I think, you know, they could be 24th in offense and 10th in defense. That's probably about the be- the rosiest scenarios that I see for this team. And yeah, that, that could, could be a 38-win team. Yeah, I, I'd probably put that number at like 36, but it's not that different. Yeah, yeah, but they get a little lucky. It's it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I think that eighth seed, even like seven and eight in the East, could be you know below 40 wins. I, I I would I would be very surprised if the eighth seed in the East is above 40 wins next year. Okay, let's uh, go. Let's case. go into wor- yeah. I mean, low 20s. I mean, remember they were had an expected win loss last year of 24. I think they'll be better, but that is no guarantee. They were pretty healthy last year so i'll say worst case is like 22 yeah i mean as much as you want to complain about what serge Ibaka gave them he was probably their best guy in the front court last year for most of the season um and they could get unlucky which they to counteract being five games better than their expected one loss last year yeah i i, I mean i would go a little higher than that i'd say like maybe like 24 just because it would it would be pretty disastrous to expect none of these guys to improve at all i mean i think like other than Peyton, you know, I think everyone was kind of close to the bottom of their range. Ross, Ross was good last year, but uh, I think that's repeatable for him. So, oh, I, I, I like to mention this sometimes. The beginning of their schedule, regular season schedule, is very interesting. So they start they, in October. They host Miami. I think they'll lose that game. Then they face Brooklyn twice in the next four games. But the problem is that their other games are against Cleveland, San Antonio, Charlotte, New Orleans. And the Charlotte, New Orleans games are on the road. So one of the big questions with this team is basically going to be if they struggle early are they going to are the players going to knuckle under are they going to say hey we can get back from this yeah that's true because so much of whatever upside this team possesses is i mean even if they go well on offense you know i still like i said don't see them getting out of the mid-20s by very much but like i think this defense could be anywhere from like 22nd to 10th you know i really i really think and and maybe it wouldn't absolutely shocked me if they were better than 10th like they have a lot of talent on this team if they can put it all together but they're gonna have to play really hard for frank vogel and they didn't do that frankly last year all right i think we're done here thank you for joining me danny we'll be right back with michael schwartz from espn formerly value of the sun so very plugged in still on the suns right after this word from our friends at lyft now you can drive for what I think is the best rideshare company. I've actually used them exclusively since 2013. And the reason I, I think they're better, it comes through for me as a passenger, is that they treat their drivers better. And what other way is there to earn money when you have time? Even something part-time, you're going to have to do at least four hours. Not a lot of people have that in your busy life. Maybe you have a normal employment. So you only have a certain amount of spare time, but if you need some extra money, if you wanted to pay for your kids' braces or buy a new couch, or you have some other kind of unexpected expenses, or just want to get out of the house, have some fun conversations with passengers and make a little extra money, you can do all that with Lyft. You can earn hundreds of dollars a week plus 100% of your tips. Those add up fast. 
Lyft has long since introduced in-app tipping before any other ride-sharing platform, something that I liked about it. Happy drivers, therefore, mean happy passengers. And that's why 9 out of 10 Lyft rides get a perfect five-star rating. The way to get started with them and join the ride-sharing company that believes in treating its people better, go to lyft.com slash capspace. That's a URL, lyft.com slash capspace, L-Y-F-T dot com slash capspace today. You can get a $500 new driver bonus. That's lyft.com, L-Y-F-T dot com slash capspace, lyft.com slash capspace, limited time only, terms apply. Time to talk about the Phoenix Suns. Joining us now from ESPN, Michael Schwartz, former Valley of the Suns writer as well, Phoenix native, so knows a lot about the team, follows it pretty closely. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. Good to be here, Nate. Absolutely. So... I'm trying to think of what the hook is yeah. for this Phoenix Suns team. You know, I'm like, you know, each one of these, I'm like, oh, you know, this is a team that, you know, blah, blah, blah. They added some players and uh, I mean, I guess uh, what is like the most exciting thing that you're just looking forward to see this season as a Suns observer? Well, on Twitter, Suns fans have started to call it the timeline and I'm excited to see <laughs> how these young guys grow. You know, what kind of steps is Devin Booker going to take in his third season? Uh, is Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris going to take big steps from last year. Bender in particular, since he barely played between his injuries and just not being quite ready for the NBA, uh, is he going to make a big improvement that I know a lot of Suns fans want? Tyler Ulis got a lot of playing time last year. Is Where does he fit into the picture? Is he a long-term backup? Could he actually be a starter? Uh, was he just a guy who was soaking up minutes last year? You know, So I think seeing the young guys develop, to me, is, is what's exciting about next year and and what's interesting. Obviously, I didn't say anything about winning basketball games, but uh, that development process, I think, will be interesting to watch. Yeah, and Josh Jackson, Josh, obviously. Oh, absolutely. I, I, another one who falls into that category. Uh, let's start just by talking about their team last season. A little bit difficult to get a read on these guys, especially because they tanked so yeah. hard down the end of the year. I mean, they shut down yep. Jared Dudley, although he actually later did have surgery, so he may have actually had a, a real issue there a toe surgery eric yep. bledsoe a nebulous injury shall we say he actually even came out in the media and said basically he wasn't particularly cool with getting yeah. shut down tyson chandler who probably actually had an underrated season i thought last year after a disappointing first season in phoenix was basically shut down as well you know they really weren't playing any of their vets who actually you know those guys actually weren't that bad last year uh and then they won 24 games but they had the point differential of a 27 win team and so if you really if if you felt like if they tried as hard as they could to win games last year like what kind of a team were they i mean i th i don't think you're more than what a, a 33 35 win team i'd say at max yeah uh, i mean the thing is they couldn't stop anybody they were third worst in defensive efficiency and that wasn't too different even when their guys were playing so i think when your defense is that bad and when uh, your core guys are so young that's just what's going to happen so um i mean to me you just look at what's going on with this franchise two of their three worst seasons in history and Nate this is their 50th season in existence or their last two yeah. years so it's it's just what happens it's it's the cycle of the NBA and they're in at the depth of um of the downturn yeah it seems like it, it, certainly you can point to some missteps that, that have been made in this rebuilding process as well but it really is underrated how good of a team historically Phoenix has been despite I mean probably yeah. the best team overall in in terms
terms of like just overall quality to not win a championship in the four major american sports like during that period i mean they never really had a huge downturn since their inception in the late 60s uh, until like this recent one yeah there's no question about that um i mean you i believe they still are the fourth winningest franchise in nba history behind teams like the lakers celtics spurs um even with these lean years um what they did from about 77 well really from about uh 88 89 until 09-10 they only missed the playoffs a handful of years and never more than once in a row so this was a team that for roughly 20 years or so uh, yeah 20 years or so they were a playoff team you know they obviously they weren't competing for championships only making the finals in 93 during that time but they were a team that you knew you could pencil them in for being one of the best offenses in the league and you're going to make the playoffs maybe win around obviously during the seven seconds or less era maybe get to the conference finals and have a real shot and you know like you said there were some missteps in how to rebuild I think they're finally on that right path and if in 2010 when clearly the seven seconds or less era was ending if they would have taken these steps I think it would have happened a lot sooner but I think that's the positive yeah, to take and out and of hired it someone is, a little smarter hired sure. someone a little smarter than Lance well, Blanks they, they said they hired a basketball genius but uh that's not exactly how it turned out that was that was at, yeah. at the press conference they lauded it as uh yeah this it was lon babby who was you know the, the former agent who was going to do all the contracts and negotiate hard and he said he needed a basketball genius by his side and hey if, if they would have hired a basketball genius i think it would have worked out but unfortunately yeah. that did not happen yeah i mean during that that period of success not to get too far afield here but they really had four separate teams i think they made the finals in i want to say 1984 with like walter davis on the team and then they rebuilt very quickly around like tom chambers and mm-hmm. kevin johnson brought in barkley you know so that that team continued then they had some decent years under jason kidd a couple of 51 yeah. seasons and then the nash years as well they really had four different teams all of which were and three of which made the the conference finals during that run um so one of the things that really stuck out to me about this team of course last year was how much time they gave two young players and, and yeah specifically then how ineffective they were with a lot of those young guys on the floor and marquise chris who in particular played 1700 minutes alex len 1600 minutes still remains unsigned as of this recording yep. i'm going on vacation so apologies if that gets resolved in the next week before we release this doesn't uh, look but, like it nate yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he probably should just take the qualifying offer, frankly. And I imagine that'll that's what'll eventually happen, but probably a few weeks away from that. Yeah, and Len, I mean, we mentioned he played 1,600 minutes. If he had gotten a 2,000 or if he had started more games, then he actually would have had a much higher qualifying offer because he had gotten the starter criteria, but that didn't happen, so he's down to $4.2 but doesn't seem like there's anything else out there for him unless he wanted to do some sort of a deal that's like, you know, a two- or three-year deal at like under eight figures per season and maybe that would get there but going back to the performance yeah uh and then tj warren 2000 minutes those guys warren had a negative seven net rating chris and len uh, both negative 11 net ratings then brandon knight uh before he was shut down as well down the end negative 12 net rating and those guys were interspersed throughout the starting and backup lineups so you can't say it's like oh because they're all playing together it's just the team was really bad yep. i think in large part because of those guys when they were out there yeah, and again with young guys, what do you look at first and foremost? Defense, Suns third worst in defensive efficiency. Um, just couldn't stop anybody. But I think some of that 
was by design. Just you, not not to be bad per se, but uh, well, I guess the last two months of the year were it was all about getting into the best position for the lottery balls. Um, and you know, it's still a team that didn't shoot the three pointer well. And if you aren't defending, you're not shooting the three. You're not going too far in today's NBA. So normally this would be the time in the show where we discuss <laughs> how the new additions fit in. Yeah. But let's just skip over that part because I, yeah. I think did they did they sign? I mean, anyone? Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson was the new addition. Obviously, he's the big one, and you know, it's he's going to make a huge difference because they didn't have that guy to guard the other team's best wing, uh, and that's enormous next year, and even more importantly to me going forward. But no, I mean, they they didn't sign any any real free agent. I mean, they brought in Mike James from overseas. Um, I know you were at summer league. He was an awesome summer league player. I think he'll at least soak up minutes. But um, I'm sure talking about Mike James is probably the least exciting new additions that <laughs> yeah. you'll have on yeah. your podcast series. Isn't he on a two-way? Uh, yeah. You know what? I don't know if it was he that was reported at first. Um, I, I believe he is. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, that and that would limit it. And they could always convert that too if they wanted to. There, there was uh, talk that but... he might just yeah stay up there for however long he could, and then they'll eventually convert it depending on what the roster is looking like. But I mean, yeah, that's pretty much the big ticket free agent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Fifty thousand dollars guaranteed so yeah what do you think of jackson Uh, i think he's a perfect fit because to me looking at that draft you want a guy who can compliment devin booker um you know for whatever you think he is he's a guy this team's going to be building around and i feel like booker and jackson is your two three with booker as your lead scorer and jackson as your lead defender is something that works you know i i think the underrated part about him is the way he can handle it a little bit the way he can pass i think that his versatility being able to guard so many different positions uh especially next to a guy like dragon bender who can also in theory guard a lot of different positions is going to be a perfect fit for what the Suns are trying to build yeah and Bender hopefully will be a good enough shooter to offset that weakness from Jackson so so that was was that the pick you were hoping they were going to do at number four absolutely he was the guy I was sweating it out for I mean on one hand because that's the only way they could have traded for Przingis because in the middle of the draft that was still a possibility but even more so looking at the team he just fit the roster a lot better than Jason Tatum would have obviously that if the Celtics had gone with Jackson, good chance the Suns are picking Tatum there. So I think that for what this team needs going forward, absolutely perfect. Yeah, and it is interesting. I mean, they have Bledsoe already. They could have gone with yep. one of the other point guards. And you have to imagine that Bledsoe, given the uh, the timeline, as we're now calling it, uh, yes, apparently, we are. Uh, uh, Bledsoe will not really be a part of that timeline, most likely. It certainly yeah. was in trade discussions with uh, Kyrie Irving. So I, I probably, if it were me i would have gone with the point guard there i, you yeah. know, I don't think that tyler ulis just due to his size and athletic limitations is going to be a starter though he could make a, a nice backup i'm sure most people probably agree with me there it's not some great take yeah. um but yeah, so so I probably would have liked to. So you would have gone. Fox. I was not as high on Jackson as you. Uh, no, I would have gone was, with Dennis Smith. Okay. Actually, I think Dennis Smith was three on my board, and then John Isaac was four. He was a little tougher fit because they just drafted two yeah. power forwards already, and Isaac is probably a power forward. He might be able to play the three. Uh, you know, I wouldn't rule that out. And you could just you could have a lot of size uh, with he and, and Bender or, or Chris. Uh, but uh, and that's also I think part of the the reason for that is I think I look 
look at draft picks yeah. as more lottery tickets than I think some people do, right? They think, hey, you know, we drafted Marquise Chris number eight. All right, we're set at power forward. Well, eh, you know, I don't know. Like, are, are you sure that Marquise Chris is going to evolve into being a, a quality starter for you over the next, you know, five years or, or whatever? Or, or do you want to just say, hey, you know what? Marquise Chris has a 50% chance of working out. We get another guy who has a 50% chance of working out. And then at least, you know, we feel like we're. we're and that's exactly better. what the Suns did in last year's draft. Yeah. They literally did draft two power forwards in the lottery, right. hoping that one of them is a long term answer there, if not both of them. Yeah. Who, who do you think that is? Who, who is, do you think is more likely to be a quality player? I still think it's Bender just because even if he's not a star, I think he's going to be useful. Like you said, he needs to be able to shoot it a little bit better. His form looks good. I think that's eventually going to happen. Obviously needs to add strength, but if he's a guy who can guard multiple positions, who can initiate some offense and can shoot it, that's going to be a useful player in this league. Yeah, I think so. And it's not even that I'm that high on Bender, although I am pleased with Bender, how comfortably he looks shooting the three-pointer. You know, he gets that shot off. He yeah. has a high release. So, and I'm a little skeptical about his ability to really be this switchy guy who's going to be able to shut people down. I, I felt that that ability was a little bit over-advertised uh, yeah. coming into the draft. I know Mike Schmitz was really high on that, uh, another fellow uh, Arizona uh, alum. My, but My former Valley of the Suns guy is now over with me at ESPN. Oh, I didn't realize he actually oh, yeah. wrote for Valley of the Suns. Yep. He was my wow. right-hand guy back in the day. Wow, okay. All right, well, it's a, a lot of University of uh, Arizona Absol- connections absolutely. here on, on this show. Um, yeah, so so he really liked that. I didn't quite see it as much. Um, so, And I didn't think he looked that great switching. I thought he actually did better against guys who were more size, like he had a nice performance against Scal, I, I thought, in, in the summer league. But I, I like him because I think he's a smart player. His passing ability is really impressive. You know, if they ever actually yeah. let him touch the ball on this team, which... You wonder, but I think it's for me to say that it's Bender to me is more yeah. indictment of Chris. I think that Chris is just, I, I mean, there's no other way to put it. He just plays dumb out there, frankly. But granted, if you look, and I, I agree with that 100%, he absolutely plays dumb out there. But, you know, he hasn't been in organized basketball that long. There's hope that you look at the tools. He's obviously incredibly athletic for his size and he can shoot the ball a little bit, not at a terribly high percentage last year. But uh, if, if that improves, you, you could see a pretty useful player. But I agree, um, basketball IQ-wise, a completely bender. And I, if I had to bet on one of the guys being better right now, I would go bender. But Chris is very lottery ticket-ish because he's got the he's got the tools and theory that could become a, a terrific NBA player. Earl Watson seems to like Chris a lot better than Bender, though. Yeah, sir. I mean, you look at the minutes, um, even discounting Bender's injury, he he relied on Chris all year. He was a starter. So, yeah. Uh, but we see those guys hopefully getting a little bit better um and, and i think like the biggest disappointment for me with chris you know i, I was totally on board with selecting him at number yeah. eight is just, I, is that shot i thought that that was a disappointment for me i thought he would be a little bit pure of a shooter based on the tape that i saw at, at washington um you know i don't think his selection was that poor in terms of his jump shots necessarily yeah. um so any regression candidates uh, on this team i mean we assume that the young guys are, are, are generally going to get better actually you know before we ask let's talk about Devin Booker uh, and yeah I think you know yeah. he was viewed as untouchable in the Porzingis discussions to the extent those occurred I thought that was ludicrous I thought the 
absolutely should trade Devin Booker for Porzingis if they had the opportunity. Um, and and I, I would too, if, if, if it was that straight up. I agree. I would have. I would have done that. You know, if, if you're building around a team for the next ten years, you rather build it around Porzingis than Booker. No disagreement there between us. But it's just the the community stuff, the way he's. And I know that sounds ridiculous. Like if you're building a franchise, that doesn't matter. But he's really taken on this face of the fan- franchise role. And I think that's. I just say that to try to explain some of the Suns fan Twitter backlash and some some of the untouchable. Um, when in reality, if you look at it, obviously you'd rather build around. Porzingis well it's difficult for Booker and I want you to elaborate on this but it seems he does the stuff that is visible especially to casual fans extremely well but if you look at his overall performance it's been disappointing but he also was ridiculously young when he was drafted he's still you know this is only his age 20 season last year I mean so what are you thinking about him both this year and then potentially beyond as far as his potential to be you know a leading or second second banana on a team that's really you know solid I think that second banana is what you hope he eventually can become. I, I don't see him ever being the best player on a di- title team, but I think if he can become more of a playmaker as a lead guard, we obviously didn't see that at all uh, when he played at Kentucky and he's gotten better. I think that's that's the number one thing. And then just defensively, can he, can he become better just by competing harder? Um, that's been the biggest weakness. You know, can't really keep anybody in front of him. If he can at least become passable on defense, you're talking about a guy who could become that number two player on a title team and it's interesting the way he plays the thought was that clay thompson was very in vogue at that time the thought was that he could be a mini clay thompson obviously far far from being that defensively and doesn't have the size or or the competitiveness or or the strength or the athleticism that thompson has you know i I think he's working with below average physical tools defensively in addition to below average will at this point but yeah he actually works with the ball in his hands more than it seemed like his reputation was going to be coming out of college. Yeah, well, absolutely, because coming out of college, I mean, you, you look at the team he played on. He played on one of the greatest college teams we've ever seen, and he didn't really do that at all. And um, it's just, can he take that those next steps and almost be a point guard? Not that he's going to be guarding point guards, but, you know, initiating some of that offense. That's the big question to me, and that's that's the big growth I'd like to see in him next year. So give you some stats on Booker. He had 496 possessions, 27% of his offense came on shots out of the pick and roll slightly below average uh, 0.78 points per possession that was the 46th percentile there and then in transition he, he got a lot of shots up that was 20% of the time this team overall uh, third in transition frequency mm-hmm. really probably the only thing they did well as a team was get out and run last year and then ISOs uh, 13% of his offense so those are his top three categories as far as just being a shooter you know coming off screen spotting up those are pretty low and they actually he's a solid post player like yeah. that's something that i would like to see a little more from him but they don't necessarily have the spacing to take advantage of that too much so he's and you know he's not really working off the ball on handoffs not coming off screens a ton so it's uh it's interesting. i mean it's not like they have that many other guys especially once bledsoe was shut down you know he's really the only guy on this team who can do anything with the ball in his hand right exactly not a lot of gravity um it, when he, it, like you said when he's in the post nobody is uh there's nobody you have to worry about doubling off of. But hey, to throw out one great Booker stat, he scored the fourth most points in NBA history before turning 21 behind some guys all your listeners have heard of. LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony, and just ahead of Kobe Bryant. So 
you know, we talk about some of the weaknesses, but what he's done kind of on his own on a team without too much offensive help, it's still pretty impressive. So you mentioned the passing. Where else does he get better to really evolve into being this player that it seems maybe a little prematurely some of the Phoenix fan base and the Phoenix management itself uh, believes that he is already? Yeah, I mean, not that you want a team heavy on isolation, but you'd like him to be a guy where you can just give him the ball and and he can get that bucket. Um, so, I mean, maybe being a little bit more uh, creative in his ISOs would be one thing. And then I, I really think the biggest deal is just defensively because uh, on a team that was this bad on the defensive end, he was certainly one of the biggest reasons why. Yeah, I think that that's fair. He does get to the foul line a reasonable amount for, for a player of his type. You know, um, not like the greatest shooter on long twos, actually. Like, I th- And he's taking some tough attempts to be sure. Yep. But you would think that a guy of his skill set could get over 40% there you know and he is basically 38% on twos outside of floater range and also could stand to finish a little better around the rim uh, below average there as well and I think those are some things that can come as there are more threats around him as there is some more spacing to work with but I think the biggest issue you're right is defensively and that's why he rates so poorly in the advanced stats and then even you know just offensively only a 14.6 PR below average 53% true shooting would like to see him take some more threes too Mm -hmm. only 28% of his shots uh, uh, from three doesn't rebound at all Uh, doesn't get any steals or blocks so just the overall floor game and there's a lot there uh, but just the ability to get those shots up and and not be totally inefficient at his age is good he doesn't turn it over that much either so that's I think he I'm not saying he's a bad player uh, but the idea that he could be untouchable is a little bit too far for me Uh, anybody you see is a regression candidate now that we've talked about him you know looking through this roster I mean Tyson Chandler is the obvious one um, but that's it's just because he's the oldest guy Um, but really everyone else in theory should be on the way up so I'll go with Tyson Um, I mean he had a great year rebounding in particular 11 and a half boards per game but he's he's not the same threat that he was certainly diving to the basket he doesn't bring that same gravity already and now a year older uh, going to be 35 it's not going to get better yeah I, I think that's right he just he can't get up for those alley-oops those tip dunks uh, even yeah though he w- was a wonderful rebounder uh, can't move his feet as well in pick and roll defense uh, as he once did Jared Dudley might be another candidate there too they actually played incredibly yeah. well with him on the floor I mean the idea yes. if, you, if you're actually trying to win games the idea of Chris or Bender playing over him was ridiculous because he was just by far their most effective power forward option but now that he's coming off uh, this toe surgery and going to be 32 this season shot 38 percent from behind the arc but how much longer can he get by on guile and smarts never a guy who's in the the greatest physical shape and then coming off the surgery you imagine he might come into camp uh, a bit corpulent this year but you know really the biggest thing to me even if those plus minus numbers completely reversed as long as he continues to be the same veteran leader mentor that he's been i would say his 10 million a year salary is well spent uh i mean what they're getting what they need out of him on a team where pretty much everybody is a young guy for the most part he's playing his role perfectly even before you talk about what he brings in the court and the the floor spacing and the fact that yeah the suns were a lot better when he was on the court last year 
What about Bledsoe? I mean, in many ways, it was a career year for him last year, yeah. both in terms of health as well, before he, he was shut down. I think his history of knee injuries was a big part of it. Uh, do you think that, that he was 27 last year, a guy who's pretty reliant on his athleticism? Do you think he, he can keep improving, or is it going to be, uh, we'll look at last year as the high water mark of his career? I think last year will probably be right around the high water mark. I mean, I'm sure he can do this for the next year or two, putting up about 24 and six 20 points uh four boards six assists per game which is pretty elite company um you're talking about the lebrons and the westbrooks and the hardens and steph curry those are the only types of guys who are putting up those numbers but the knees just terrify me nate um when you've had as many meniscus injuries as he has it seems like every other year he has a real knee injury um he's a guy who relies on explosiveness so much still i mean he he shoots it better than he did um and he's pretty decent standstill shooter but obviously he's not a guy who that's not ever going to be his calling card um once his athleticism wanes in two or three more years i don't think he's going to be quite the same guy so i'm very much on the bandwagon of sell high on him while he still has two years left on a pretty good contract for this market and then i want nothing to do with his next contract no matter what team i am yeah you know it's interesting though i mean if they move on from him and they've got Ulysses, but again we have some concerns about him being a star quality yeah you know, i don't know where they get the next point guard right like i mean 2018 not a great point guard market in terms of free agency the suns don't project to have a ton of space maybe if they move on from blood so and don't take back any yeah. salary but you would imagine that the construct of a trade would be hey we're gonna not only are you gonna pay us for what blood production but some of those draft picks you're sending us are gonna be for us taking back whatever crappy salary we need mm-hmm. to match up with blood as well and so you know i'm not sure where this next point guard comes from which is part of why i felt that maybe they should have taken a chance on a point guard in this draft uh in addition to my just liking those guys better but i think uh yeah Bledsoe he was very reliant on getting to the foul line he had a career high free throw late rate last year and uh so I, I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's the, the time is now to, to try to move on from him. And it sounds like they're kind of trying to do yeah. that. And uh, once once it becomes clear that this team won't be contending for anything this year, maybe those talks will accelerate. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just tough because not a lot of teams really need point guards right now. Granted, there will be injuries. There will be teams yeah. that eventually do need one. But um, it's it feels like every team is either a good point guard prospect or a pretty above average point guard on their roster. Yeah. And the teams that don't, are teams that aren't really trying that hard you know whether it's the Knicks or uh, Atlanta or Orlando and even those teams have a guy that they're hoping to develop at least so that is and and Cleveland seemed like an obvious destination but now they got Isaiah Thomas instead although we'll see where he ends up in terms of his hip uh what are the playing time issues that are going to uh vex coach Earl Watson this season um I mean I think there could be a bit of a log jam with um the big guy with you've got Bender and Chris and then like you said Jared Dudley is probably your best guy to soak up some power forward minutes Um, I think that's going to be an interesting one Uh, some of these injuries at at shooting guard completely evaporated the depth there so really there's no issues with guard and if anything they need another shooting guard Um, Booker's going to be able to play as many minutes as he wants and there's almost nothing behind him Um, I mean maybe they'll just play TJ Warren or Josh Jackson at at the two i mean i guess they've got Derek yeah Jones they might Jr. have to as well yeah right you have Derek jones jr um 
I mean, I, you'll there will be time for Warren and Jackson, but I, I guess I'd really just say at the four because you could see um, Jackson being a good fit for small ball four minutes. TJ Warren could play small ball four minutes, and then when you got Bender and Chris, you want to develop. They played Bender some at the three. It's not an ideal fit, especially right now in his career. Um, I'd certainly rather see him more at the four. So. Um, just wondering where you can play there because you just don't everyone's going small but you just don't have that guard depth right now with all the injuries and we haven't even got to training camp no and to reiterate what those are brandon knight will miss the entire season with a torn acl suffered over the summer playing uh in a workout and then uh javon reed had what sounds like a meniscus repair which will be a a four to six month recovery he had an okay summer league uh, fits right in in terms of his shot selection on this team it's seemed like yeah. in summer league but uh yeah he was a guy who's gonna have a path to real mints i think it was the 32 pick in the draft this year mm-hmm. maybe we'll see Ulysses and bledsoe together because bledsoe is uh can defend the twos quite easily with his length and his strength so that might be something that they could maybe they can just distribute all of the minutes at the one and the two between bledsoe Ulysses, and booker but Ulysses is coming off his own surgery as well let's we'll yep. see what kind of shape he's in yeah definitely so it's it's interesting it just doesn't i think the the big thing will be getting guys in the right spots. Um, like I said, you'd like to see Josh Jackson playing everywhere. Can he play the two? Can he be an answer there for some backup two minutes? I'm sure we'll see that. So what do you think uh, will be the crunch time lineup for this team? I mean, obviously subject to change but yeah. early on in the season. And would that differ from what you think they should do? Um, I mean, I think that Bledsoe and Booker are the locks, right? And then probably to start the year, you'll see Tyson Chandler, um, Josh Jackson, and I'd say is a lock also and really have no idea who the crunch time for is going to be uh, based on last year I guess you'd probably say Chris um, the lineup I'd like to see is the young guy lineup with Chris and Bender at the four and five uh, with the other three guys yeah. I said with Jackson and Bledsoe and Booker so that that's the lineup I'd like to see and again I'm this is all in a prism of I don't even see wins and losses this year I'm sure we'll get to that soon but it's more about seeing interesting lineups what could be good for the future so seeing those five together and even with Ulysses instead of um, Bledsoe at times obviously you're going to close with Bledsoe but to kind of see what young guy combinations make sense does TJ Warren is is he a guy you want to go out and sign next year when he's a restricted free agent or does he not really fit and you should maybe trade him at the deadline those are the kind of uh, lineup issues I'm looking forward to seeing yeah real quickly because he's not doesn't project as a major player but uh what do you think of Derek Jones Jr I mean the athleticism is incredible uh, we all saw the slam dunk contest so I, I think it's just does he develop that jump shot and you know I'm sure a lot of fringe NBA players that's the question if if he can develop a reliable jumper he's going to be a useful role player in this league yeah he certainly has the athleticism to be a, a quality defensive player and a, a lot of it too is yeah. you know is he going to get on the boards what's his floor game going to be like is can he use that athleticism other than just getting out in transition and going in for dunks uh that that's going to be a big part of it too but hey he's going to get his chances this year you have to imagine especially if they move on from i mean yeah and and as it is now you're going to need somebody to soak up some of those backup two guard minutes so you figure he'll get a shot what are the strengths of this phoenix suns team such (laughs) as they are um you know it's it's i don't know if they have a lot of um per se strengths i think it's just is booker going to take that next step 
as a dominant score would be the biggest thing. But I mean, as far as just strengths, um, I mean, they're good at pushing the pace. I guess that's kind of the best I could say. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I I think that's right. You know, I mentioned they've got Bledsoe who can push the ball. Booker likes to get out in transition, maybe leaks out a little bit too much, frankly. Uh, um, Ulyss is kind of a water bug point guard. and Jackson should be great in transition. Yeah, I'd expect that. TJ Warren, another guy who's real solid in transition. We mentioned Derek Jones Jr. Uh, Chris likes to run. Bender, a guy who can even grab and go at times or can hit a trail three uh, and Tyson Chandler you know a solid defensive rebounder to start the break so I think they definitely need to push it there uh I'll actually give you two that you probably wouldn't have expected uh number four in the NBA at getting to the foul line last season hmm. uh, and uh sixth in offensive rebound rate that I wouldn't expect to see as much of especially and I, I mean I guess we don't know how much Len is going to factor in here but like it, you know yeah. Alan Williams is a great offensive rebounder so is Chandler Incredible. yeah uh so you know maybe maybe they can try to at least be good in the athletic categories and running of course is that also uh this team also though we said they're good at getting to the foul line their gains are kind of an eyesore because they also fouled just like crazy on defense last year with all these young dudes and then on the flip side uh the three-point line is the huge weakness for them uh both in terms of making them they made the second fewest threes last year and then opponents shot 38 percent which was the best in the league against the suns against any team so uh, when you look at where this league's going and every year setting new records of three-point makes attempts and the suns were at the start of that trend back a decade ago but um last year both their three-point offense and three-point defense was just abysmal yeah and it's not only a question of percentage where they rank 27th at 33 percent but also three-point attempt rate they were 29th only 26 percent of their shots were three-pointers and that's definitely an issue i think that's part of why i'm interested to see that lineup with bender maybe at the five and just see if they can space the floor for some of these guys because they have a lot of guys jackson is one of them Mm -hmm. warren is another guys who can get to the rim and handle the ball and and are good finishers but just need the space to operate with yeah no question and in theory you would think they could create a decent three-point shooting team um, especially once you see who they get in next year's lottery around uh around booker jackson you hope it develops that shot but yeah last year that was a huge achilles heel uh they also are a horrible passing team yeah oh yeah I and mean, bender is probably the best passer on this team by a mile uh yeah. despite playing at a very high pace they ranked 29th in the league in assists only 19.6 assists per game yeah when you're only ahead of toronto that's not good yeah i mean and even blood so i would look at him as a somewhat below average passer for a league guard you yeah. mentioned booker's struggles in yep. that regard and maybe josh jackson can help there you know he, he's an underrated passer for uh coming out of school but not a guy who i think is going to be just like diming guys up right away yeah but eventually and i and i think eventually if, if you have jackson and bender as your forwards that's some good passing playmaking for, uh forwards so I think that would be the hope that you eventually create a team of pretty solid passers. You know, Booker needs to get better in that regard, but um, he can play make a little bit. And like we've said, we have no idea who the point guard of the future is for this team. But the hope would be you put a whole team of solid passers. Wasn't the case last year, though. Yeah, so I know you're not that concerned about, about wins and losses. We will do a prediction yeah. shortly. But just in terms of whether this will be a successful season or not, I mean, what are you yeah. looking at 
as like the key variables things that like all right you know if this this is is a key that's going to determine whether they're they've done well this year i mean just are dragon bender and josh jackson solid players next year i mean and it's it's hard to say because we all know rookies are bad um from a statistical basis but do you see that growth does dragon bender look like a different player is josh jackson as special as the sun seem to think he is and you know going down the line with all the other timeline guys does booker make that next step as as a playmaker improve a little bit on defense so for me it's just that whole bottom half of the roster age-wise are they developing and are you able to make one trade what whether it's using some of the cap space that the Suns still have this year once the lens situation is resolved um, whether it's trading Bledsoe are you able to make some of these moves to put you in, in a better position next year yeah do you think there's any chance they could defend okay this year I, I mean I'm guessing probably not just because everyone is young but they at least they have guys who have okay who have like defensive tools like Bledsoe has, has been a good defender although I yeah. think you know just w- with the culture he's really slipped since he since maybe his first year or so in Phoenix Booker yeah. as we mentioned is awful uh, Warren not very good at that. like he'll have some flashes every now and then where he'll like get out on the perimeter and guard and make you think like maybe it's possible for him yeah um and then jackson Derek jones like bender tyson chandler is still you know an okay defensive option so they they don't have like just the worst like talent in the world but i think uh, right both in terms of their youth and then i'm not really a believer in earl watson as a coach to be able to get guys to defend yeah him. no certainly not he's he's good at getting you to believe in his philosophies but um hasn't shown much in the defensive end but you're right. They, they've got some, in theory, solid young individual defenders. And you just wonder how big of an impact Jackson is. Obviously, he's expected to be an incredible defender eventually. We don't know if that'll happen right away. Yeah, and I think it, there is a question, too, about whether he really can guard the biggest guys. Because sure. he is a little bit sure. narrower in frame. But, I mean, just even having someone... We had a mailbag uh, for our Patreon subscription a couple of days ago that Danny and I did. And we really said, hey... You know who can who can you look at who can defend you know a Paul George or a Carmelo Anthony or a LeBron or a KD and there's probably 15 of those guys in the whole league yeah. so it's uh you know that's not saying that he can't be a solid defensive player overall. What do you think of Earl Watson as a coach? Um, I mean X's and O's wise, and you know what he's been able to build defensively, not a whole lot, but um, I think he might be kind of like what Scott Brooks was early in OKC, where he was just a great developer of young talent and getting them to believe um i think he's a guy that once you're ready to win you probably want to move on from but as far as the belief in the system and everything that he preaches he's an interesting guy so i think he's good for where they are right now as a franchise but long term probably not the answer he reminds me a little bit of mark jackson uh in his combativeness you'll remember his comments after that kind of farce where they got booker the 70 points when they were down by 20 the whole game and like uh, and he definitely is one of these us against the world type of mentality gets his players to buy in they seem to like him a lot um although jackson was more successful than uh than uh watson has been i mean he had better players no that that, that's certainly the case (laughs) as 
well, I think. And do you think there's any chance that they would move on from him this year? Uh, I don't think so this year, just because, again, I don't think this year is about wins and losses. So even if they're really bad, I don't think they feel the need to fire him. And I don't see what just moving on to the next guy is going to do. It's this year is all about building culture, developing young guys. And I don't see anything. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And 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 that is important um, with this franchise in particular. So I don't see why there'd be any reason to do that right now. Now, would they in the off season? Sure. That if it's a if it's a twenty win season and things are even worse than expected, there's no question that's that's a possibility. But um, I'd be pretty surprised if they made any move in season. Yeah, my recollection I think is that Watson, one of the lower paid coaches in the league, and that he has yes, he, that's correct. He has uh, one year left on his contract after this season, and he's making like you know yeah. three million bucks or something like that. So yeah, it does seem like. Robert Sarver never uh never someone to no. write a check when he doesn't have to necessarily um all right let's do it a predicted record I will go first here we did the the west over unders a little bit ago their over under was 28 and a half at least as of that recording I went yeah. under and I think I'm gonna go with 26 wins for this group just because of some of the issues that that you talked about with the depth you know I think again there could yeah. be some real issues there and the fact that they're not gonna be trying to win down the end and also just so many young guys I don't really believe in the coach that much and it seems like the vibe around this team these last two years has just been like massive underperformance uh, even of the, of their talent level and you know maybe that changes if Booker can really take a step forward but I see no way that they're not you know probably a bottom five maybe you know bottom mm-hmm. seven defense you know that would probably be like a step forward if they could get that far yep yeah and you know what I'm I'm right in the same range I'll go with 28 wins and the big thing to me is just this might be the greatest conference ever that they're playing in this western conference and with so many games against the west even though I think they might be better on talent uh, on paper against some of these east teams um, just having so many games against the West is going to push them down. So I'll go 28 wins and they're a lock for bottom two in the West. Well, at least you're consistent because you predicted 28 wins. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That is incorrect. You predicted 30 wins last year. I predicted 28 last year. So, uh, okay. So, and we were both off, but yeah, in the ballpark. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was, uh, I was pretty, uh, if they had hit their point differential, I would have been right on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and if they hadn't just tanked so badly now, of course, that's got to be part of these predictions as well sure, sure. um all right how about a a best case scenario for these guys uh, best um, case probably worst case in terms of the overall yeah. franchise because they want to get <laughs> another pick in there but just in terms of i mean it could be best case though because it means at least the young guys of which they have so many are, are playing well you would think if they do yeah. win more than expected i mean my best case scenario to answer my way first is they end up with Doncic or porter or uh or marvin bagley that would to me be the best case scenario for the season but um to answer the question seriously i mean maybe they could get up to 35 wins if booker takes the next step if he becomes an all-star bledsoe repeats what he did last year um they don't jackson is yeah they don't trade that's another reason why i'm I'm a little lower on them too by the way because i i do think that that's a possibility either either they're gonna trade him or he's not gonna play the last 20 games it's gonna be one of those two yeah and he wasn't he wasn't happy with that um as we mentioned
mentioned earlier. So I think it would be tough to do that to him again right in the prime of his career if he actually is healthy for a second year in a row. Yeah. So I, I think the trade is very much in play. But you could see Booker taking that next step. A guy we haven't talked about much at all who is one of their best plus minus guys, um, Alan Williams. If he plays a little bit more and mm-hmm. continues to rebound like he, he did, he was one of the best rebounders in the league when he was on the court last season. And you see strong improvement from both Chris and Bender, who I think are two of the bigger wild cards when you talk about what the Suns are going to be next year. I could see them get up to the mid-30s, but that's that's certainly the very rose-colored glasses view of it. Yeah, well, that's obviously the point of that exercise. Yeah, I'd say probably like 32, 33. I'll call it mm-hmm. 33. Uh, nah, you know what? I'll call it 32. I think they're just, they're, they're so young that I just, yeah. it's very difficult uh, for me to see that. All right, how about uh, worst case scenario, yeah. or shall we call it uh, yeah. lowest win scenario rather than worst case? Um, I'll go with I'll go with twenty wins. Um, no, you know what? I'll go with eighteen, just because if if Booker gets hurt <sighs> wow. and then you trade Bledsoe, I mean, it, oh my, you God, just don't yeah, have much. Be... You know, like if if Booker gets hurt, you're not going to have a ton of scoring. And then if if he, I mean, if it was an actual serious injury, you'd have no depth in the backcourt. And then I think you would for sure trade Bledsoe because you'd just be completely out of it. If if Bender and Chris don't give you anything, and you're you're stuck with Jared Dudley, you know it's gonna be it's gonna be brutal. So I think that possibility certainly exists. Yeah, I'd put it at 21. I don't think it's it's quite as bad. I mean, and I usually try not to say like, okay, if you know there's gonna be a catastrophic injury, but yeah, no, I mean if he sure, if sure. he if Booker misses 20 games, they'll be probably the worst offense yeah. in the league type of level anytime that he's yeah. out. So I certainly think that that's probably. But it's really it's hard for me to see any way that this team gets out of the bottom 10 in either offense or defense right yeah i agree with that and just this west is so good that i think it's them in sacramento fighting for 14 and 15 i don't see there there being really any way that they get above 14th in the west yeah i mean you could have said maybe the lakers but uh, i mean maybe i, I think but it, i think they have more they brooke yeah. lopez you know they've yeah KCP, the lakers are better like, than last year yep. yeah no, I think I Lonzo for whatever you think of him. Yeah, I could see the Lakers being right in that mix again. I, I, that wouldn't shock yeah. me. Um, but yeah, and I expect Dallas to be significantly better as well, unless there's some major injury issues there. So yeah, uh, all right. I think that's uh, that's about all I had here. Um, let me ask you this: When do you predict the Suns will next make the playoffs? <laughs> it has been since I mean, 2010 at this point. Yeah, that's correct. 2010. It's amazing for what we talked about earlier. It's team that always made the playoffs the prior 20 years um i'm gonna say the earliest would probably be 2020 and i'll go with a prediction of 2021 and i think a lot depends on who they get in the lottery next year because yeah. i think that the three guys i mentioned along with possibly Aton are top of the top uh, cream of the crop and i think that if they do get one of those guys to be the number one star things are going to get better in a hurry because you do have some of the core some of the timeline in place for a really solid team if Booker can be your number two if Jackson can be your number three if Bender can be your number four you get that number one um, you get some of these Tyson Chandler contracts off the books in a few years move Bledsoe and you've got something so I think the the future is significantly brighter than the present yeah and so you'd imagine that the plan is going to basically be I mean this is maybe in 2019 that that 
that would be a point booker will be a restricted free agent at that point but won't have yeah. an enormous cap hold that in the summer of 2019 they basically have nothing on the books other than rookie contracts and mm-hmm. uh well, you'll, guess, you'll and, have brandon knight oh god yeah one more year that's right but they could even and who knows he might at that point yeah too you know good stretch candidate absolutely um so and then it would just all be these rookie guys and then booker as a restricted free agent his cap holds only nine million so uh yeah, yeah I, I think you know they could have as much as 40 million in space assuming they don't commit any more long-term money which i don't expect them to you know i think they've handled this lens situation perfectly rather yeah. than being oh he's the number five pick like we have to bring him back you know it, it, sign him to 12 million a year or something and then you just got like more shit money on the books uh so yeah i, I think uh they also have that miami pick coming from the Dragic. Yeah deal two miami uh, picks coming yeah yeah the the second in 2021 uh the first one is top seven protected but you imagine that almost certainly will go to them uh, unless like miami finishes just out of the playoffs and somehow jumps up in the lottery and and 2021 Um, completely unprotected so who knows with all the contracts miami signed last year um that that could be quite the enticing pick yeah who knows what that's i mean pat riley will probably be out of the picture by then right yeah so i think you make a good point about 2018 let me say this let's say that they're just you know they get like a starter in 2018 mm-hmm. do you think that they have enough on this team now just with internal development of all the guys that they have to eventually be a playoff team when these guys mature or there need to be more pieces uh, and obviously they wouldn't be a championship contender but could they at least be you know eighth seed seventh seed type of team yeah i think they could i mean if, if booker takes those steps jackson's as good as i think he is sure he could be but to really be where they need they absolutely Absolutely need a number one. You know that I yeah. don't believe a best player on a top four seed is on the roster right now. So I well, think they and they don't have anything that. at center. They don't have anything at right. center right now, and they don't really have anything at point guard. Either, well, I think so. the hope is that Mark Chris or Bender become that the center. Really? Okay. Yeah, uh, Chris put on some weight over the summer. Yeah, I think that's that would be the long term hope. Um, and then you got Williams, who's a really pretty good backup center. I mean, he's very undersized, but sure. he rebounds as good as anybody. Like you said, the big hole you're going to need to find a point guard of the future um, first and foremost, and just overall to me i really don't care what position the guy plays if if marvin bagley's the guy even if um his size is a bit duplicative you get him and you figure out the rest later yeah all right man well this is great thanks so much for coming on and uh i mean you don't really have anything to plug at this point though do you not not really (laughs) i mean uh, watch watch watch, the jump i guess because you're working on that a little bit watch the nba on espn but i don't think i need to tell your listeners to do that (laughs) (laughs) but please do good for ratings yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot. And we'll be back with more in our season preview series. This is actually dropping while I'm on vacation, but I will be back in a few days and we'll uh, get you some news and some more fun season previews at that point. Till then.